1: is Derek Alexandrinko. Thanks for being on the show, Derek. Thanks for having me. After years of building a personal real estate portfolio composed of assets valued at $33 million, Derek is now manager of the Hammerhead Build to Rent Fund, focusing on creating multifamily assets using single-family dwellings, resulting in great communities for residents, and legacy returns for fund investors. Derek, welcome to the show. Looking forward to hearing, you know, just about this business model that you're operating and, you know, your experience, I think, as a, you know, general contractor, how that's helped you to to do this and be successful at it. But you know, let's jump right in. Give us a little more about your background so we can better understand your ability to operate this fund. And then let's jump into the fund and, and the model a little bit.
0: Sure. I started investing my freshman year in college. I wanted to get my first property when I First graduated high school, but found out I had no way of doing that. I didn't have anyone to co-sign. I didn't have any income. So I went to college and got a job at the Home Depot. I was reading all the how-to books and you know, as I got the work history. And then I was able to buy it that spring, my first home, and then just kept on doing the same thing. By the time I graduated, I had three houses on the same street and a 27 unit over there in Baton Rouge. And from there, I kept on buying, remodeling. The Burr Strategy, you know, it wasn't called that at the time. Went through 2008, all those bumps and bruises from that, but tons of learning. And more recently, about five or six years ago, became licensed general contractor, realize it's easier for me just to build these rental properties from scratch, get exactly what I want, more control over the finished product, and the tenants like them better. So now we're putting together that fund model to just scale it up.
1: Nice. Tell me, you know, what were you going to school for? And, and were you using? did you use that to continue to, or to start to build your real estate portfolio?
0: No, not at all. I was, I was pre-med. I graduated pre-med. I did have a business minor though. So I, I use that part much more than the pre-med part. So when I went into college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I always knew I wanted to be in real estate. I remember working out in my room, just doing sit-ups and push-ups in high school for the football team, watching the late night TV shows. There was... I think it's Carlton Sheets infomercials, you know, selling, you know, his real estate course back then It was on CDs and whatnot. I never got the course, but I was like, it got the wheels turning. Well, real estate, there's got to be value there. How these people are buying it and able to buy more. So how are they able to do the next house after the first one? So I was always thinking about that. And and that just opened the door for me.
1: It's interesting. I just like asking sometimes to people talk about, you know, getting that real estate bug, kind of, you know, in school and high school, college. And then how, you you know, did you use that college degree to get where you're at now? And if that happened or not, how that worked out. But I would imagine you're grateful that you took the real estate route now, or are you? Oh, yeah. I mean... Once you get in it, I mean, I, I'm pretty
0: much addicted to it. I love the opportunity that it provides, and even remodeling the ugly properties and making seeing something there, and you could create something, you know, useful from that, and then just building something from scratch. So it, it's just such a great space to be in. Uh, and, and then as far as the the things that it allows us to do with the freedom of our time, whenever you do it successfully, it's it's there's really nothing like it.
1: Congratulations to you just having three homes by the time you graduated. That's an accomplishment in itself that most will not try that early on. So congratulations making that happen. I'm sure that didn't come easily, you know, going through school at the same time. But, you know, tell us a little about you got your license, your general contractor license, and then you started developing. But then you you have a fund now. Tell us about that timeline a little bit up to the fund and why I have a fund.
0: I started doing that. Let's see, five or six years ago, like I said, and it started with just building one house, and then I started doing two or four at a time, and then eight. And just last year, recently, with COVID kind of hitting the brakes on everything and starting to, you know, regroup and, and pivot, you know, like, well, I really felt like I was being led. Like I could do more with the same business model to increase my impact i could have to do more communities better you know for the tenants and then also on the back end of the fund we plan on partnering with charities and doing some things there so i really feel like the time is right for me to use my experience and to just go larger with it
1: Tell us a little about, just so the listener knows, you're doing a 506C fund. So we can talk about it. You can advertise it. You can put it out there. You don't have to have that pre-existing relationship, you know, like if you're doing a 506B. So this fund, you know, you're doing a fund. So obviously you can raise capital. You, you know, investors can partner with you. You can develop more. Tell us the type of fund and, or you know, more details of the type of builds you're doing, what your plan is, or how long is this fund going to last? And what's your exit strategy?
0: It's a 10-year fund life cycle. We plan on focusing on building single-family home communities from 100 to 200 units, but they're going to be gated communities. They're going to be under multifamily ownership structure. We're going to do the asset management. We're not going to sell off individual homes, so it'll be handled and owned just like the multifamily syndication's. But in the development space, our biggest hurdle is the land and the entitlement process, getting through the zoning, making sure you could actually build what you want to build on these tracks. So that's why we chose the fund model, so that we could go out and have multiple tracks that we're working on simultaneously. That way you don't you know, have a project you're working on and you hit a brick wall, and then all of a sudden you, know, you have to go back to your investors and say, well, I'm sorry, we're just waiting for another six months. So we have multiple irons in the fire, if you will, and that's why we chose the fund model.
1: So you mentioned like 100 to 200 unit, single-family homes. You're going to build this community. It'd even be gated. Will that? So then you all will manage and rent these, or then you will eventually sell them, or or how does that look? I think the valuation
0: will always be higher as a multifamily, just through the cash flow and appreciation under the multifamily ownership. The things that are so great about multifamily, unless the markets, some of these markets go crazy, like where we have square foot prices like California, then it would be you know, feasible to sell them off individually. We always have that option because they will be individually entitled lots. But I do see, at least in most of these markets, we're in the Southeast and Texas, that the multifamily valuation will probably be the exit strategy.
1: You mentioned like a land and entitlement process. There are some difficulties there. Will you elaborate?
0: Land, they're not building any more of it. So you have to find it and you have to find someone who wants to sell it to you at a price that you can make the numbers pencil out because new construction, it can be, you know, it's pricey. You're not, you know, buying something 50 cents on a dollar. You're building it from scratch, especially this year. That's what our main obstacle is now with COVID is all the prices of lumber and whatnot are really fluctuating on us. So you, you have to be careful, you know, whenever you're finding these tracks to make sure that you can put what you want on it because The local governments, the zoning ordinances, they really have a huge say in what can go there. And then, you know, the neighbors, a lot of people want to control what's going next door. So we have to kind of show them what we're doing and why it's a good thing for everyone in that area and in that community.
1: What's the timeline of that process? I know I've heard, you know, lots of people talk about it. I'm not a developer personally, but just wonder about the timeline. You found this piece of property. You're probably wanting to get it tied up pretty quick if it's something that's going to work for you. However, you got to ensure these things beforehand, right? I mean, you got to ensure that it's going to be something you can pursue and it makes sense and that you can actually build your project there. How long does that normally take and what are some holdups there or how you've accomplished? Maybe, you know, give us an example.
0: Well, it could be a huge variation, but in general, I'd say six to nine months. But one of our first qualifiers is there's some, you know, we go into those uh, areas and and meet with the local governments, kind of look at their ordinances to determine if we even want to try there. So we'll we'll scratch some off of our list, you know, from the get go to where we're not even going to try in those areas just because we know it would be too onerous for us to try. So that eliminates a lot of it. We you know, we could be more familiar with their process and they kind of know what beforehand what we're looking for, what we plan on doing there. And then it's we generally try to option the tracks first so that before we go out and just purchase the land, we get a little further along in that process.
1: I wanted to go back to and ask you about, I know we talked about the timeline of the fund a little bit. And obviously, you said like a 10-year fund. How does that work with investors when developing a project like this as far as I'm sure that, you know, obviously, they're investing on the front end of development. They may not get a return for a couple of years, right? What does this fund look like as far as, you know, the timeline of starting to build and being able to provide a return?
0: Right. Well, we have it set up with three different classes of shares. We have just a straight preferred share and then we have the equity shares, class B shares. The equity shares are for three years. They get a higher return, but it's for a shorter period and they don't have the equity upside that the the other shares would have. But we foresee when we do these communities taking three or four years, get them stabilized and then we would have a capital event when we either refinance or sell it out. That's kind of the plan, and in each time we do that, even though it's a ten-year life cycle, we expect we'll probably have some type of shot in the arm for those Class B investors. You know, what we probably wouldn't return fifty or seventy-five percent like you might if you were doing a refinance under a normal syndication, because we want to keep some of it in the fund to recycle, and because we're going to be doing multiple communities. So over this ten-year fund cycle, for a couple thousand homes, you know, over ten to fifteen communities.
1: Nice. So why not build multifamily as opposed to 100 or 200 single family homes?
0: Cost. (laughs) The commercial building codes, you can't build those C and class B properties that we love to buy as multifamily investors. that's why they're so attractive because you could purchase those, but you can't build them anymore. You have to put fire sprinklers, firewalls. There's so many new codes and they're good codes. They're just making everyone safer, but it's very expensive. It's a whole different space. They have large developers that do that, but as there are much longer cycles on building those things out. Their approval process is even more difficult than we are in the single-family space. I also prefer the flexibility that we have. We could get individual certificates of occupancy. So if we're building 20 houses, the market you know tanks on us, we could go ahead and pump the brakes and say, let's stop for a while, we'll rent out these 20, and then we'll come back when we like things a little bit better. If you're building a 200 unit building, you can't occupy one unit. You have to finish it out. And I remember seeing that in 2008. We had some larger complexes being built where I live and they sat for about a year and a half, you know, with the house wrap blowing and just left out into the elements. So we mm-hmm. like to be a lot more flexible, especially with what's going on. No one knows what's going to happen.
1: No, that's a great point. That is a great point. You could get 10 built and then just put the brakes on for a while if you had to and get those rented, hopefully. You mentioned earlier, too, like in a little different, like partnering with charities on the back end. How do you do that? What does that look like?
0: Well, with the cash flow that we generate, because in the fund, I'm the original purchaser of the raw land the entitlement process, the developer, the builder. We have a lot of streamlined. There's a, a lot less hand changing of that asset where there's fees involved. Every time it moves through that, it gets a little bit more expensive. Everyone needs to get paid. So our costs are you know a lot lower per square foot, and we think we'll cash flow a lot better. And our plan is to locate two or three charities in that community. And send out an email, a newsletter to our investors and, and say, look, we vetted these, we like these charities, think they're doing good things, and we'll kind of take a little vote and we'll partner up with them for that year and really just feed into that charity. That's what's great about this multifamily community, all these investors, they want their returns, they, but they also want to feel like we're really making an impact because of the the scale that we operate in.
1: I like that, and so you had mentioned that you all do all your own asset management, property management. You know, when did you decide to bring all that in house, and why, or you know, or was there a time where you hired third party?
0: We will be third party as we get more of these communities. You know, we're still smaller, still starting out, so we're able to handle that. I mean, when I started out and just doing my single family and, and my smaller multifamily stuff, I managed them all. Personally, I never had a property manager. So I learned all that firsthand, spreadsheets and just collecting rents. And so don't want to do that anymore. (laughs) But it makes you able to know what to look for. It makes it a lot easier once you get that experience.
1: What's been just the hardest part of development for you or the syndication business? Hardest part of
0: development would be the frustration of dealing with the governments. You think you have a great project and you're pouring into it. You have faith in it. And then they just go and poo-poo on it. (laughs) and it's just like I'm doing a good thing you know this will be a great thing for this community and but you have to fight that fight you know and eventually you hope that you can get it to the finish line but it is a tough frustrating process a lot of the time.
1: Is there a tip how, how you've accomplished that or got you know improved that relationship to get something accomplished?
0: It's just putting in the work. You go and you start meeting those people because it's all about who you know in anything, really. But even more so in this space because they can really influence one way or the other because they're going to take a vote. And if you can really influence those folks and get them on the same page, believing what you believe, that's really the quickest way. And it's not easy. That's why there's not very many in this space, because it just involves work.
1: You know, you mentioned if the market turns in doing, you know, one reason you're doing the single family versus a large multifamily structure, you know, is because you can halt that, you know, if something happens in the market and continue to rent, you know, or move along, you know, what you've already got constructed. Any other ways that you're prepared for a potential downturn in this type of business model?
0: Yeah, I mean we obviously it's all about cost. We try to build these things at a valuation where we have, you know, close to sixty, sixty five percent break-even. So we could handle quite a bit of vacancy if we had to. But in our experience, these newer units and you know, if we do our homework correctly, we haven't rented before they're finished because we put in some bells and whistles, we make, you know, some ship laps, some of these things that people love. We're capturing the folks that are either upsizing out of traditional apartments, they want to have their own driveway, their own little porch, and also the folks that are downsizing, want to sell their house. They want to have something nice, but they don't want to have all the upkeep. So we're kind of capturing both of those.
1: What do you predict to happen over the next 6 to 12 months in the real estate market? What's your thoughts on that? And as you're developing this business plan?
0: I predict it'll be unpredictable. (laughs) We have no clue. And that's why with this model, that was our main focus is we need to be flexible and able to maneuver quickly I mean, we're going to be you know spread out geographically so we're diversified in that respect but we also have flexibility with our lenders and, and with these projects to where we're not out, left out in the open if something drastic does happen I don't hope or foresee anything I think we've been through 2020 and we all hope for good things this year but you never know so we just want to have that approach because you know there's still going to be things that we can't foresee
1: Derek, do you have any daily habits that you are disciplined about that have helped you achieve success?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, first thing, you know, the night before, I have a little app where I just put in what I plan to do on a small scale, like, you know, I get this one done, this one, and then because if you don't knock those things out, then they start to trickle over. And before you know it, you have a whole mountain pushing up against you. So if you just take a few minutes, you know, that's right before bed, just to lay out, you know, th- these are the things I'm going to hit, make sure that they get done and kind of map it out, you know, beforehand that really helps. And then before you even get out of bed, I just lay there, say a quick prayer. And just to make sure that I'm guided throughout the day. And I think that really helps.
1: No, I like that. And is there a way that you've recently improved your business that we could apply to ours?
0: Uh, Always learning, you know, regardless of what level you're at, you could always learn. And this is the information age. There's so much at our fingertips. Now you can learn how to do anything. And really you should, because if you're not, someone else is, and they're eventually going to come and take your space. So you have to always be improving yourself and improving your business. And then the other big thing is partnering up with the right people. This is a, you know, every business is a people business. And that's, that's the number one factor that you build on is who you're partnering with, who
1: you're working with. What's your best source for meeting new investors right now?
0: Meetups, these virtual meetups have been nice. And LinkedIn is always, you know, I think it's a quality
1: platform. Is there a way you're using LinkedIn to bring in investors? no, it's all
0: organic for me. We're about to probably start you know, doing more of that. We're just getting everything put together, but it's just all organic, you know, small messaging and chats because really you get a lot of that spam and, and people don't like that.
1: Right. I meant to ask you too, is there a way that you know, you've learned the ins and outs of operating a fund? Uh, I get that question often recently, just like, should I have a fund right now? You know, and is, How did you learn the process of operating a fund to the point where you're comfortable doing it now?
0: I've read some of the, you know, similar books on capital raising and they they get into that a little bit and but really the teaming up with the good SEC attorney that could really guide you through the process and and, you, and a fund is really a syndication. There's some slight differences, but if you're comfortable with syndication, you could easily do a fund. That's really what it is, but the cycle's a little different, some of the rules are a little bit different, but it's just it's just a different type of syndication.
1: Derek, I know we mentioned a little bit on the back end of how you uh, give back, but you know, I just thought you could elaborate. How do you like to give back? Yeah, besides
0: what we're trying to do in those communities, really, it's my wife. That's her gift. She just sees what people need, even if they don't mention it. And she's like, can I go and do this? Are you okay with me? putting this here. And so I tried to feed her because that's what she does to me. I'm kind of oblivious to those types of things, worrying about what I'm worrying about. So I just kind of empower her and she is great at that. She picks a new family or set of people every week and she prays for them. And then she does special things, you know, surprises for them. So it's really special seeing her work in that space.
1: Also, I meant to ask you the number one thing that's contributed to your success.
0: Faith. First faith in my creator. I think that I'm here for a bigger purpose. And when you believe that, it really empowers you. And then that gives you faith in yourself. Able to purchase my first house without a partner, without parents, no cosigner. And then from there, just doing things over. You know, if you have faith in yourself, you really can do anything within reason. I can't grow to be seven feet tall and play in the NBA, but I can learn most things. And as long as you're focused and you're dedicated to it, put in the work, you could really do anything you set your mind to.
1: Derek, I'm grateful to have met you and just you sharing that and how you give back as well, how you've had those properties in school. I, I just, I love that drive and just the faith and the ability to be able to go make that happen even while you're in school. So people that are listening that are younger right now and you think, man, I'm just not ready yet. You know what? Yeah, there are things you can do to get started and make it happen. But also how you instead of going go on the multifamily development route. You've changed this business model for a way that you feel is, you know, less risky and a way that you can make it happen and bring a lot of investors along with you at this same time and help them to build wealth and help create better communities as well. So thank you for your time being on the show. How can the listeners get in touch with you and learn more about you?
0: Yeah, they can find me on LinkedIn. Just search my name. I'm pretty sure I'm the only one with that, that last name. So I'll be easy to find on there. They can email me at Derek at HammerheadCap.com. And they could go to Real Wealth, Real Impact. But also have a little website there where
1: they can learn a little more about me. Awesome. That's a wrap, Derek. Thank you very much. Thank you. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by
0: LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital.